Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at the time, at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, uh, and, and having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinance so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. That he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. And Lord, again, we just ask for your spirit to move and anoint every word for your glory and our building up in Jesus' name. Amen. When Christ entered the world, when he came into the world on this mission sent by his Father, there were two barriers that are referenced here, two barriers that are referenced here in the text that were the same the world over. didn't matter where you lived in the world, these two barriers existed everywhere. One, everyone, because of sin, had a barrier between them and God. We all agree with that? When Jesus came, there was a barrier between us and God. God is holy. We are the opposite of holy. So there was that barrier. But there was also a barrier you know, uh, between us. We had a barrier between God. You know, we couldn't get to God because he is sinless. We could never scale that wall. But there was a second barrier that's referenced here in the text. And it also had to be removed, just like the barrier between us and God had to be removed by Jesus. This other barrier was there too. It's a very common barrier between people. In this wall, just like our wall between us and God was there due to our personal sin, the wall between people is also due to sin. There's this wall between people groups. People have separated, chosen to separate with hate, with pride, with prejudice, with mistrust, with anger, with hurt. I mean, no one's disputing that these things aren't real, but they still are the result of sin. And there's been wars over all of these things, right? Wars, and slavery, and bondage, and all kinds of evil things that have come out of man having barriers between other man or mankind. And this started all the way back in the very first family with Adam and Eve. It didn't take long for Cain and Abel didn't like it. Well, Abel would have liked Cain, but Cain didn't like Abel. It doesn't matter. Well, I like them, but they don't like me. That happens in our lifetime sometimes, doesn't it? But the good news is this. Jesus has resolved both situations. Both barriers have been removed. Do we know this as a church, that both barriers have been removed? We can live as if they're still there, or we can live as if we know that he's removed them. 
Both walls have been removed. For any and all that do what? Put their faith and trust in Jesus. They're not removed just because Jesus removed them. We have to put our faith and trust in him, and then they've been removed on our behalf. We are invited by his grace to be one with God, but also to be one with one another. Isn't that great? Like I said, I've been married for 23 years. The longer you're married, the more one you become. And the longer the church yields to Christ, the more one it becomes. With all of its differences, with all of its background, it actually makes us better that we're a lot different. Have all these different backgrounds. That God puts all of these pieces together. This is why he came. And if you're taking notes, you can see the title of today's time of the word, Made One in Christ. We're going to look at three things that, as you know, I always usually keep them in threes. Every now and then I mix it up and go four or something like two or something like that, but usually threes. The first thing we want to look at is Christ Jesus brought us near. Now, the reason I chose the word Christ Jesus is this is the terminology that Paul used here. He used this term Christ Jesus, and we know that Christ means Messiah, and we know that Jesus, he will save from sin, Savior, the Messiah, the Savior, the coming one, the promised one, the promised Savior, if you will. And Christ Jesus brought us near is the first thing that Paul uh, walks us through, starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember you, once Gentiles in the flesh. Now, we know he's writing primarily to the larger percentage of the Ephesian church. Remember, Ephesus was a Gentile city. Though it did have a Jewish synagogue, if you've been with our our study, it had a Jewish synagogue. The other cities uh, of Paul's travels, most of them also had Jewish synagogues where he would go in and he would be able to reach out to his brethren of the flesh. And he was Jewish. He would reach out to the other Jewish people in that community. But Paul also wanted to see Gentiles saved. As the Ephesian church grew, we believe that the early part of the Ephesian church was probably mostly Jewish, but then as it exploded and more people came to faith, it became mostly Gentile. And so then you had a larger uh, group of Gentiles. And he's speaking there, you once Gentiles in the flesh, uh, called uncircumcision. Um, Obviously, circumcision was given uh, originally to Abraham and through all the way up. Moses was given that this must be part of the law, and and this was uh, common uh, in the Jewish men, but not in the rest of the world. And so it was a delineation between those who are Gentile and those who are Jewish, but uh, the Scriptures make clear that a a physical act doesn't change the heart. That Really, in the Scriptures, the real circumcision is those of us, uh, male and female, that have been circumcised in the heart that God has taken away that which keeps us from having the same heart and connection with God, that we've actually had the veil, as it were, removed. But Israel as a nation, and think about Israel as a nation, uh, was certainly chosen by the Lord. Wouldn't we all agree with that? God chose Israel as a nation. God established a covenant with Israel and very special promises for Israel. And his goodness and his blessing accompanied that covenant. The Hebrew word for covenant is bereth. Bereth, and it means treaty or pledge or agreement. God had chosen Israel to set them apart to do what? To follow him. Remember, Moses told Pharaoh, we are going to go out and worship the Lord. That was the whole reason they were set apart, was to go and worship the Lord, to serve him, and to be in a covenant relationship with him. Me and my wife are in a covenant relationship. 
23 years, if Lord willing, will be 46 someday. It's covenant relationship. It's not, uh, let's, add, let's add in, uh, what are these, um, prenuptials now. God didn't give Israel a prenuptial. Hey, if you want to uh, amend this, now it was a covenant relationship. In Deuteronomy 7, 6, it says, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples in the face of the earth. And you might say, well, they are extra special. You've got to go and read the rest. Israel was not chosen. The Lord makes this clear in other passages. Israel was not chosen because of its size, wasn't chosen because of its accomplishments, wasn't chosen because of its worthiness. Matter of fact, if you study Israel, you'd say, wow, they really were not worthy. It's the most the Old Testament is a history of failure and walking away from God. But no, Israel was chosen by what? God's sovereignty. It was God's sovereignty. Understand that Israel's covenant relationship with God, on the one hand, it was conditional. Does everyone know that? It was a conditional covenant. Say, I didn't know that. Was it conditional? Yeah, absolutely conditional. It was conditional. In other words, if Israel broke the commands and the covenant, then the consequences to them as a nation should be expected and warranted. That was a, a, God says, if, I will. If you follow me, I will. If you do these things, I will bless you. It was a covenant relationship. So any kind of breaking of it, then God bringing judgment would be expected and warranted. Additionally, God's response would be fair and just, wouldn't it? It would be a fair and just response and righteous if Israel revoked the covenant and violated, or Israel violated it and God chose to revoke it. Well, we see a similar provision in the covenant of marriage. Even Jesus affirmed that adultery was a legitimate grounds for ending a marriage because someone had basically torpedoed the covenant. Marriage is a conditional covenant. Both sides are to remain in the covenant. We also know from Scripture that repentance and grace and forgiveness is God's preference, isn't it? To actually heal and restore, that there not even be a divorce. That God would actually heal these things and bring restoration. But Israel's place in the, and Israel's preservation in the covenant relationship with God was clearly and unquestionably conditional. But on the other hand, even though the covenant God gave Israel's condition, on the other hand, it was really completely dependent on God. You agree with that? It was, all, it was given as conditional with God knowing they couldn't keep their end of the bargain. By the way, that would be true of our salvation too. God gave us of it. Has anyone sinned since being saved? Then we haven't kept our end of the bargain, have we? We're kept by sovereign grace. Israel was kept by the sovereignty of God. The, con the covenant was conditional, and yet God was going to overlook them violating it, and he wouldn't revoke it. Why did God not revoke the covenant with Israel? One, he made a promise to his servant Abraham that he would never break it even though he knew Abraham's descendants would break it. This supersedes. Now, Abraham had no way of convincing his descendants not to break the covenant. 
his descendants are still alive today. He's not around to kind of shake them and say, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? He had no way to enforce that they would keep it. Number two, not only did he make the promise to Abraham, but God knew Israel would break the covenant, and yet he still gave the covenant. He knew Israel, he made a promise to Abraham, and by the way, God keeps his promises, doesn't he? He'll never renege on it. He gave the promise, he'll keep it. But two, he knew Israel would break the covenant. And three, the covenant was always based on the back end, mercy and grace. That's why Moses was given in the Holy of Holies, what? The mercy seat. It was always based on mercy. And Paul is writing here primarily to these Gentile Ephesians who are not of Jewish blood. They are not ethnically nor are they physically Jewish or of the seed of Israel. Israel was the name God gave to Jacob. Jacob had the 12 sons, and therefore the 12 sons were the 12 sons of Israel. They become the Jewish nation. But these Ephesians, for the most part, as Paul's writing, they're not Jewish. And before hearing the gospel, the Ephesians and all Gentiles had neither the hope of the covenant given to Abraham and then confirmed later uh, with Moses and the law. They didn't have the hope of the covenant nor did they have the hope that Paul had found in Jesus. This doesn't mean that everyone of Jewish blood was trusting and acting on the promises and the covenant given to Abraham. If they did, if people really did, Jesus said, if, if you knew the, the fathers, you would know me. If you knew who Abraham was, if you knew who Moses was, you would know me. In other words, God says, if the, if the, if the Jewish people had with a humble heart said, I will hear from Abraham, I will hear from Moses, they would have absolutely heard from Jesus. But they really weren't listening even to Abraham or Moses either. Just the parts they wanted to hear. And if they did, then the light of salvation of faith, not works, not the law, it was faith that was accounted to Abraham, wasn't it? Faith, because he believed God, that would then enter in, and then by the Spirit of God, that would ultimately lead to salvation. And for the Gentiles that Paul is speaking to, and not just the Gentiles here, but Gentiles around the world that had never heard the gospel, nor did they know much about uh, the covenant that God had made with Israel, they were in the dark to both. If you would ask you know, somebody, if you would have traveled back in time then and you visited India or China or the British Isles or Africa and said, hey, what do you know about Abraham? What? What do you know about Jesus? What? They would have been in the dark to both of those things. That's why the apostles were sent all over the world, because this would have been new news as well as good news to everyone. The Gentiles, what they did know, now remember the synagogues were all throughout the Roman Empire, Alexandria, Rome, Ephesus, Corinth. These synagogues were there, so there was a Jewish population in these cities. And many of the Gentiles, they were told by the the Jewish people, the covenant is ours, not yours. What hope did they have to look to? If the God of Israel was really the true God and not the false gods of their pagan worship, how could they have a relationship with them? They weren't born Jewish. Apparently, they, in many of the Jewish people, but this is, we were born in this. You are not. The fact is, God was calling the Gentiles and Israel was supposed to be a gracious light of God to the world. That was the design before the nation turned to false gods and the northern kingdom was dispersed and then eventually Judah and the southern king was dispersed. Southern kingdom was dispersed. 
But they were to instruct and call the Gentiles the Lord. I mean, the Lord revealed this in passages in the Old Testament, such as to Isaiah. But instead, much of the nation's history, much of the, the nation's history was actually excluding the Gentiles and even at times condemning the Gentiles. Paul said he was sent as apostle to the Gentiles. And by the way, an unsaved Jewish person had a misguided hope. Just because they hoped in the covenant didn't mean that they were covered by that covenant. Uh, it's a trust and a perpetual promise to a nation. There was a promise to a nation. That is not each individual. Do we understand that? The covenant was to the nation. God says, I will make of you a great nation. It was a covenant to the nation. But each individual, you know, they had sons that followed and they had sons that didn't follow. Ezekiel makes this, the book of Ezekiel makes this clear that personal faith and repentance is required. And while the Gentiles here, they don't, they don't have a hope or a knowledge of, of any of this. But now it says in verse 13, but now, you could circle that. Remember last a couple weeks ago we circled but God. It said but God, now this is but now. But now in Christ Jesus. The blood of Christ, it provides a living hope to everyone. Nobody's excluded. The Jewish person is not excluded. The Gentile person is not excluded. There's no mixed message. God is speaking by his son through the apostles. Nobody's excluded. For God so loved the what? World. World. Not that God so loved Israel. Of course, he loves Israel. But he loves the world, too. Israel was to be a light to the world. That he sent his son, and the blood of Jesus removes the barrier and the wall of hopelessness, and it removes the barrier of spiritual pride. Because even if you say, I'm going to live really religious, but you're not saved, that's spiritual pride, isn't it? That's, it may not be, oh, I'm not out uh, doing all the things that the world does. I'm not living some immoral lifestyle. Well, Paul thought he was really righteous before salvation, didn't he? thought he was the best of the best. He was full of spiritual pride. And others were full of, you know, just kind of paganism and wickedness and all kinds of other things. And so the blood of Jesus removes that personal barrier that we have between God, whether it is uh, our own righteousness or whether it is uh, the sins that are very evident. But the blood of Jesus, it provides a better covenant than all previous covenants. Isn't that great? It's a better covenant. Hebrews 7.22, say, did you make that up? No, it's in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 22. Jesus has become the surety of a better covenant. The new covenant established by the love of God and the sacrificial love poured out with the blood of uh, Christ, it brings eternal hope, it brings salvation, it brings the forgiveness of sin and new life to anyone willing to come. A person has to be willing to come. God's not... Forcing, grabbing, saying, you will come. Willing to come, Jewish or Gentile. And Galatians 6.15 says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. I tell people all the time, sometimes I, I think in June, there's a Sunday I might retell my testimony. Me and my wife, we got saved on the same day, Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, 1995, almost a year about a year and a month after we got married. So first God had to get us married. 
Then he said, yeah, get, get, get you saved. And then it's been this like long sanctification process since. And if I read that, if I tell my testimony in a Sunday message, it's probably be the end of June. I'm going to tell it in a way of talking out what God does post-salvation in the sanctification process of life. Justification is when you get saved. Sanctification is as he, as he works you like a piece of wood. And it's still carving today. What the finished product looked like with you, with me, is a, is a process. Paul said it didn't end until he got to the very end. That process continues. But we're still a new creation the day we get saved. Amen? We, we immediately went from this material to this material. Now we're actually workable. We are a piece of wood that can be worked. Before, we were something that couldn't be worked. We had to be transformed and, and new. It's not the law. It's not the covenants related to Israel. But it's Christ and his blood that makes us new, that brings us near. It says here, but now you who were once far off have brought near. All of us were far off at one time, right? You know, what? I, I remember the weeks leading up to me getting saved, I started to realize how far off I was. It's weird how you can be, you can be one prayer away from salvation and yet miles away. Isn't that amazing? And you're, you can be one prayer away, and then, but feel like you're a thousand miles away from God. And you're one repentant prayer away to, be brought in, to being brought near. And this is what he does. He brings us near. And John, uh, and not only does Jesus bring us near, he's the only one who can bring us near. John, 12, uh, John 14, 6, no one comes to the Father except by me. There's no other way to come near to the Father but through Jesus. There's not another way. We'll say, I've heard this a million times. You need to hear it a million more. I need to hear it a million more. By the way, when you get to heaven, we're going to hear it a lot. We're going to probably sing songs about He is the only way, the truth, and the life. We're going to worship Jesus for eternity with this message. Interestingly, since God will still complete and fulfill every other covenant, Remember I said that the covenant of salvation, according to Hebrews 7, is the better covenant? It doesn't mean the other covenants aren't important and very valuable to God. Did you know he'll complete all the other covenants too? No covenant that he made will ever be left undone. But interestingly, the other covenants, because he's not in any way, God is not done with Israel. Anyone who preaches or teaches replacement theology, I don't know where they're finding this in the Bible. Well, I know the verses that they use. There's a handful of them, and they're taken out of context. They're certainly not looking at the whole counsel of God. God is not done with physical Israel. The Israel as a nation, as a state, God is not done with. Read uh, Romans chapter 9 through 11 just for one place. There's other places, many other places. But understand that even though God is not done with the nation state of Israel, it's the blood of Jesus and the work of the cross that was necessary for the better covenant, but also to fulfill all the other covenants. Jesus' death and resurrection is what actually brings the other covenants into the place of them being fulfilled. In Zechariah 12, 10, uh, it says, And I will pour on the house of Israel, I will pour on the house of David, and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, then they will look on him whom they pierced. That covenant also ties to the cross. And all of it will do what? It'll glorify Jesus. Let's look at the next thing. We've not only been brought near, we've been brought, Jesus has brought us peace. 
Christ Jesus has brought us near. If you came, if you came to the foot of the cross, God brought you near. Christ brought you near. If you then surrendered, he has brought peace. Goes on to say, he himself is our peace. Verse 14, he's broken down, uh, he has made us one and broken down the middle wall of separation. Verse 15, end of the verse. Thus making peace. 17, middle of the verse. And he preached peace to you who are far off. Three times the word peace is mentioned here. Jesus brought us peace. He's making peace. He has preached peace. He's making us one. Christ not only brought us near individually by the blood into this personal relationship, this peace with God relationship. We, we were at war with God, but now we're at peace with God. And he's bringing us nearer and nearer to him as we grow in grace. Again, that's sanctification, right? Hey, well, I'm, I still struggle with this. I still struggle with that. I'm not. That's sanctification. He's bringing you nearer, making you more like him over time. We grow in grace. But he's also, by peace, bringing us nearer to one another. There's people you get along now with that you thought you would never get along with. That's a work of peace. That's a work of God's grace. It's a work of Jesus. There's people that actually have come together in the body of Christ. One of the things that drew us to salvation the Sunday we went to Calvary, Fort Lauderdale, was the diversity. We saw it, we're like, this is... Well, we were at first a little amazed that nobody was wearing suits. <laughs> what, what is going on here? Where's everybody's suits? Nobody's... Does anyone wear dresses here? Why are we dressed up and no one else is dressed? You know, that kind of thing. Because, you know, we'd come from this part of the country originally before we went to college down there. And so that, that kind of, but everything else was, we were like, these people all look different from each other. There's like hell's angel looking guys. There's black, there's Hispanic, there's this, there's that. There's people raising their hands like they really like this stuff. And, you know, uh, who taught them that? You know, that kind of, you know, we're looking at all these things. But God brings people together through Christ, Jew, Gentile, rich, poor, old, young, educated, uneducated. You know one of the most amazing things that you see in the real body of Christ is when highly educated people and uneducated people become brothers and friends. That does not... You want to talk about race is bad enough, and it is. It is an issue in our, in our country and other countries, and, but it's not the only one. Educated people and educated people, they only hang out when there's some special project for the United Way. They're not barbecuing together on the weekend, but in the body of Christ, they are. They really are. They really can have friendships. They really can have relationships. It's not like, well, I only hang out with people that are in my strata, and you're not down here, so we don't really, we don't really hang together. But in the body of Christ, you can have a very uneducated guy that doesn't have much money going to the same football game with a wealthy brother that says, come on, you're my friend. We're friends in the Lord. This doesn't, I don't see it happen much in the world. I'm not saying it never happens, but it's way, way, way more rare. And it's not lasting anyway. In other words, all the different barriers that exist between people before Christ, he removes those barriers. And or he instructs us to remove them. How about that? Did you know that? He instructs us to remove the barriers. Now, he's already removed them in a sense that they really aren't there but yet we have to, spiritually speaking, say we will acknowledge that they're not there and walk through. And how is this accomplished? By the Prince of Peace. Isn't that one of Jesus' names? Yeah. Prince of Peace. 
for all people. It's a supernatural peace process on a table that's littered with failed attempts. Look at the world's table with failed peace processes. A man by the name of Don McLean said, Washington has a large assortment of peace monuments. We build one after every war. True, huh? Jesus brings genuine peace. He has the power where everything else has failed. And trust me, everything else has failed. You watch the news, you know it's a failure. Everyone's ideas are just as failing as anyone else's ideas. And just as Christ Jesus brings us near individually, the peace is first individual. We have to have individual peace, just like on an airplane. You have to put oxygen on you before you can put oxygen on your child, right? But just as we first need individual peace, once we have individual peace, it can be collective. It can be a larger impact than just ourselves. And the peace that Paul speaks of, is it's exclusive <clears throat> than any other description of what we might think of as peace. It's different than the other things out there. The peace here is not a feeling and a what, but a who. It says right here, look in your Bible, you want to circle it. For he himself is our peace. The peace of Jesus is himself. It's not a feeling. It's Jesus. He is the peace. He's the one that's inside of us personally, but equally important, he's the peace that comes and abides inside the body of Christ. We're all gathered in this room this morning. He's the one that's bringing peace to this room, not our feelings. Matter of fact, he's crushing our feelings, and that's a good thing with his peace. His presence and his peace takes residence in the body of Christ, not just residence in you personally, but residence in us as a family. It takes residence in us with all of the diversity, all the backgrounds, all the age differences, all the cultures, all the ethnicities, all the preferences. Preferences are a problem, aren't they? They're a problem inside of a family of five. Just, just try and settle on a movie in your family. You'll find out that preferences exist in all large groups, small groups. How many of you think chocolate's better than vanilla? How many think vanilla's better than chocolate? Well, who decides, right? When the Uganda kids were with us, the, the Uganda kids stayed a couple days with us, they don't like meat, like they don't like deli meat that's cold. That's really disgusting. That They want meat cooked. Guess what we did? We cooked all their meat. I say, well, hey, hey, this is the way we do it here. No, love accommodates. It looks, says, no, even though I prefer this, let's defer to you. By the way, you do that in your marriage, you're going to have a great marriage. The more you do that, say, now, you, you can't do this to like never get anything done. No, no you do it, you do it, you do it. You know, eventually, someone's got to move forward, but, but you know what I mean. But we're at peace whether it's vanilla or chocolate or strawberry because those aren't the bigger issues of life. We know that the spirit and love are greater. Without Christ, walls stay up between people. He says, I've broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enemy that is in the law, the commandments contain the ordinance. Create himself one new man, thus making peace, reconciling them both. Them both. What does that mean? Well, these, these walls that are between us, these learned behaviors, bad habits, bad behaviors, our sin nature, selfishness, racism, misunderstanding, miscommunication, misinformation, 
unforgiveness, so on and so on. All these things exist. And many Jews in that day, I think this is a lot less today, this is, this is not, when, it was, when Judaism was practiced with these synagogues, and at this time, and Paul was right there with it. Remember, Peter didn't want to touch, he didn't want to go in the house of a Gentile. Peter, who Jesus had done a great, did not want to go in the house of a Gentile. Because he thought he was, he wasn't against them, he thought he was violating the covenant. God had to say, no, that's gone. You will go into every house I tell you to go into. And you're going to eat what they put in front of you. What if they put cooked bat? You're going to have to eat cooked bat. Because that was, that was against the law. And I'm glad that was against the law. It's still against the law in our house. That law, some of these laws are going to live on. The rest of my family, because we're from Annapolis, they like shellfish. My wife hates shellfish. That law, she loves that law. You can't have shellfish. She's with that. But uh, many Jews consider Gentiles unclean, dirty, less important to God. And all of that was untrue. It was untrue that they had been taught that. It was untrue that, uh, that, that God felt that way. But spiritually speaking, we're all dirty and we're all unclean. The, the truth of the matter is, they said, well, Gentiles are dirty and clean. Well, no, Paul would come back. No, we're all. We're all unclean. We're all sheep who've gone astray. We're all an unclean thing, as the scriptures say. We're, but yet we're all important to God. Everyone's important to God. Not more, not less. And Paul uses a picture here, breaking down this middle wall of separation. Paul uses a picture of uh, what Christ did in the temple. He, he uses a picture of the literal temple here to demonstrate the spiritual temple of the church or Christ's body. And he led away and removed, Christ led the way in removing a wall of separation between people. We now follow that, that he's removed that wall of separation between people, and we follow that, and we come together and worship together. And we believe that Christ will dissolve every wall. Inside the temple, if you go back to the temple, like uh, Solomon's temple or Herod's temple, go back to Herod's temple, for example, there was a literal wall. Did you know this? There was a literal wall and a barrier between the court of the Gentiles. The court of the Gentiles was way on the outside. It was the cheap seats, the nosebleed, if you will. That was the court of the Gentiles. It was the temple grounds, but it was the farthest out. Then you had the inner courts, and you had additional barriers between the court of women and the court of Israel, and you had the court of the priest. You see the strata here? And finally, you had the Holy of Holies. And Paul is stating that with the death and resurrection of Jesus, Paul is making clear, he's speaking of the temple here, he says, with the death of Jesus, the wall of separation between Jews, there's no court of the Gentiles now. There's not a court of women. There's not the priestly court. Pastors, we don't have our special court with God. You go to the same place I go. There's no such wall now in the body of Christ. Jesus has removed it. We would have to willingly rebuild it. Isn't it sad when churches have built walls that Christ had taken down? This has happened in American history. It's happened throughout the last 2,000 years. It's tragic. We would have to resegregate ourselves when Jesus said, I've broken down these walls. Why are you putting them up? 
Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not genders and there's not Jewish people are still Jewish. Gentile are still Gentile. Ethnicities are still a great thing, but they're not separating. We are one. It's like all those puzzle pieces. When you, some of you like to put those thousand puzzle pieces together. It's fun, right? It's relaxing. It's like adult coloring books now, right? You know, calms. But when you put them all together, all those differences come together, and it's one picture, and that's what God is doing. But Christ is our peace. He has made peace, and he has preached peace, as the text tells us here, through the finished work of the cross. And he has alone, Christ alone has reconciled us. No, no peace process did it. The apostles didn't do it. Christ alone has reconciled us with God. We were dead without relationship. Now we have a relationship. He put to death our former death. Isn't that great? He put to death our former death, and he's reconciled us to one another. Now we can love each other past our flaws. Love covers what? A multitude of sins and differences and silly things that get in the way. Now we have the common bond of Christ. We have the common bond of his salvation, his lordship. Keep, keep in mind that word, his lordship, his Holy Spirit, his work of peace. And this can be between any two people, any three people, any four people, five people, six people, ten people, 10,000 people, 200,000 people that are born again. They can all have the same peace and harmony together in a relationship and unity. Pastor David Guzik, some of the guys that went up with us to the pastor's conference this week, Pastor David Guzik said this. He said, the wall of separation is gone because the common lordship is greater than any previous division. If the lordship of Jesus Christ is not greater than any difference you have with others, be it political, racial, economic, language, geography, or whatever, then you have not fully understood what it means to be under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that is true. You're either under the lordship of Christ or you're under the lordship of the system of this world. And if you're under the system of this world, you will have a hard time being one. That shouldn't be the case in the body of Christ. Doesn't mean that it's not easy. Doesn't mean that there's not wounds that need to be healed. Doesn't mean that there aren't things that have to be rebound together. And that takes work, doesn't it? Just like in a marriage relationship where there was, there was issues, they have, those wounds take time. They have to be laid down at the feet of Jesus. Prayers have to be prayed. Honest effort has to be given and engaged in making us one. But the Spirit of God will ensure it's completed, won't he? He really will. Last thing is we want to look at as we come to a close here. By the way, that was the verse that I never clicked on, but I did read it, so. <laughs> did you get to see it again? Galatians 3.8. One. Paul was big on this being one thing. Paul's like, I used to be a separatist. Me and my hyper-spiritual Jewish comrades. But now, Paul's like, everyone get on the bus, Right? They were all going to heaven together. That was, that was what Paul became from a separatist to someone who said, I see and treasure the diversity in the body of Christ, that every man, every nation, every language would come together. And so he became one that loved people from all these different backgrounds. And we want to close with the last uh, portion of the text here this morning. And, and again, starting in verse 7, he came and preached peace to you who are far off and those who are near. In verse 18, for through him... We have both access by one Spirit to the Father. Jesus has brought us near to the cross. That's where we found salvation. 
Amen? Brought us near the, near the cross. We found salvation. He's brought us peace into our hearts personally and then into the body of Christ, which he ordained. He ordained Calvary Chapel Richmond, not you, not me, not anybody. He ordained the larger body of Christ. I get together with other pastors because we're going to spend eternity together. We're one family. Minor differences in some areas are not a big deal. He's ordained the body of Christ. We now humbly accept and we walk in the grace of his forgiveness. Every day is a day of his grace. We've not done anything to merit God's goodness and grace in our life. We've not done. This week, we all blew it enough that we didn't do anything that said, well, I should have a private access to God because of the great week I've had. (laughs) God, are you impressed? I led zero people to Christ this week, but I prayed over every meal. How about that? You know, so. No, we, we know that um, his grace is an important, essential piece of what he's done in our life. But Jesus, it says, we have both access by one spirit. By the way, the, the whole trinity is here. We see through him, which is Jesus, by spirit, Holy Spirit, to the Father. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Father. Why is that important? Because they are three, and yet they are what? One. The oneness of God brings us together into the oneness of us in him. Jesus prayed in John 17 that they may be one even as you and I are one, right? And he's saying, they're going to fight this. That's what he was, why do you think he's praying it? They're going to fight this, but by the Spirit, help them put it to death that the walls have been taken down and they can now come together as one. Christ has brought us into the presence of the Father individually. If you get to pray and you sense the presence of God, Jesus brought you near. He brought you access into the throne room of grace. We not only pray our Father, but we all have a personal access into his presence. It's not like under the law and the Holy of Holies was just reserved for the high priest. Jesus, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, gives us access to the Father. The holiness of Christ, his perfection, his sacrificial blood gives us perpetual access to God the Father. Not just on our good days, perpetual access. He removed the wall of separation between people groups symbolically seeing the temple But do you remember when he cried out, it is finished from the cross? What happened? The veil of the temple between the holy holies there. It would have taken a team of oxen to rip that thing, and it just ripped down, and that had separated everyone from the holy of holies, but that was ripped and torn in two, and Jesus now now says, come, come in. Come and worship the Father. Be comforted by the Father. If you need comfort, God wants to comfort you in his presence. Not far away, not a long-distance phone call. He wants to comfort you in his presence. Kids today don't even know what a long-distance phone call is, but anyway. Some of you remember collect calls, too, so you know, they don't know what that is either. They don't even know what a phone book is, so... We're brought into the presence renewed by the Father, restored by the Father, any of his children, any of his children, no matter what they look like, one Father, one throne room. There's only one place to go. There's only one living room. 
one entry point, and it's through Christ by the Holy Spirit. This church, if we want to see God do the amazing, it has to be through Christ and by the Holy Spirit. Through Christ and by the Holy Spirit. Through Christ and by the Holy Spirit. Not great programs, not the most sensational teachers of all time, not the best Sunday school teachers that we've ever seen on planet Earth, not the best greeters. We can be not so great, but if it's through Christ and by the Holy Spirit, it will be great. Hebrews 4.16 says, Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace and help in the time of need. You don't need grace when you've done it all right. You need grace when in a time of need. We need grace collectively in a time of need. We need some mercy. We need some grace. We need some help. You and me, we need all these things. And if you don't think you need it today, guess what? In a couple weeks, you'll know you need it. When you think you don't need it, God says, oh, you don't need grace anymore. No, we'll need it. I, the longer I'm saved, the more I know I need it. You don't realize until later in salvation, wow, we really did get a great deal here. But let's go in peace. Let's go in peace to the throne room of God. Let's go together, husbands and wives, families, one church. Let's go together this is how the world knows that Calvary Chapel is of him, that we love one another, that we go in together. Let him heal. Let him renew. Let him unify us. Put down the things that would separate us. As he does, the world will look on and know that we've been changed, that we've been transformed, and we've been made one family through the power of Jesus. Amen.